Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realized some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Joe Motley. Joe is a hip hop artist running music workshops in schools and in youth centers for young people and also providing one-to-one support for NDIS clients. We talk about so much in this episode, Joe's approach to parenting, how he found a sense of belonging in the hip hop community and how he's really healing himself through the work he does and through his approach to life. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Okay, welcome to the eighth episode of the Wagtails podcast. I'm joined by one of my favorite people, a really good friend of mine, um, who's mostly known as Motley, but I also refer to him as Joe. So welcome to the studio. I don't know whether to call you Joe or Motley in this situation. And that's been my dilemma, you know. Nobody knows whether to call me Joe or Motley. That's part of it. I'm elusive. (laughs) (laughs) So Mr. Joe or Motley or Joe Motley, Mm. um, please tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, who is Motley, who is Joe. Mm, Deep questions straight off the bat. Um, Suppose I go to my childhood and my my hometown my growing up my culture you know i'll start picking up Mm. i don't know if that's me or parts of me so it's that's why i said it's a deep question um but yeah i i kind of when i think about it who i am joe and motley are two separate characters I, i suppose so joe is the is the kid that grew up and became the adult that grew up and still is Joe and functions in society. And Motley is almost a, an alter ego. I'm thinking about it now live while you're while you're asking me. <laughs> it's and, good. Um, dissecting it. <clears throat> Motley's like an alter ego that I probably came up with in my late teens, early twenties, where I felt like I could step into something bigger than Joe. Um, and it represented freedom and diversity and creativity and unity and community and all these kind of other things all these ideas that seemed bigger than 20 year old joe at the time um so i adopted a couple of monikers and motley was the one that that stuck Mm. yeah yeah and then motley became your artist name yeah well Everybody in Manchester still calls me Motley, and like it's my like it's my name. They don't know my name is Joe. <laughs> I, there was a point where I had to define because I was applying for youth jobs, and I couldn't be Motley in those circles or I, on my application. It didn't. It was an alias, or it didn't fit. So I was Joe or Joseph, my given name. Um, and that was a challenge for me because I'd always been called Motley and, but then I started introducing myself as Joe. I'm like being professional, I'm not <laughs> Motley anymore, I'm, I'm Joe and, and I'm not that little boy Joe, I'm the grown adult Joe that's, that's learned a lot from Motley and incorporated it. So now I can be Joe with honor because I felt like Joe came from a 
from poverty really in all aspects um just lack of having needs met in the in the childhood home and even family violence and um you know hardship poverty just poverty in in all all aspects <clears throat> and it didn't feel like um didn't feel like something to be proud of it felt mm. like something to be more ashamed of and not really boast about it too much in some circles mm. in music and in hip hop and in that's rap it was a badge of honor you know this is where i came from and look how far i've come and i'll gladly tell you that mm. but in professional circles it's something that you you don't really you don't really wear that up front um so it was hard <clears throat> you know because i'm motley's the hero but now i have to come back to joe and the the shame of being joe and what all that represents as well but hold it in a different light and say no this is the the grown joe the mm. joe 2.0 joe so interesting um i'm sort of curious about like the hip-hop side of it as well the fact that you can be um, proud of the journey of, of Joel Motley in the hip-hop circle. What is it about hip-hop, do you think, that allows for that? Um, hip-hop was built on not having nothing. The whole culture stems from poverty, I suppose, and I identified with that voice inside that music and inside that scene, the, the breakdancing, the body popping, the popping and locking the DJing when I was a kid I just was fascinated by it. it was just like suppose like kids are now to today's music you just gravitate to what's the coolest thing at the time or I did anyway I felt I just felt a connection to it mm. and a lot of the the songs that I heard growing up were coming from places like I came from but maybe in London or New York or LA or other cities and telling a story of how it was and how it could be and and portraying that I'm a real life example of that mm. you know I'm not living in them same conditions anymore so it was really something as inspiring and something that I probably aspired for subconsciously because it wasn't everything I thought I was worth Mm. you know I, I didn't grow up with that attitude like I'm gonna be this and I'm gonna be that it wasn't it was something that kind of developed mm. over time um, and it's, it's confidence builder you know you, you do something and it's appreciated by your peers on on your level not somebody outside it's somebody from inside the group and they get it and they love it and they want more of it mm. and it just gives you this incredible feeling that you're like oh wow i'm onto something here um and yeah just a, a big validation big feeling of belonging for the first time um because like i said we grew up in poverty in a white neighborhood as well so it was a poor white neighborhood and we weren't white <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lack of belonging mm in the story woven in all the way from the beginning 
Yeah. I felt like I didn't even belong in my own house. My my biological dad wasn't in the house, so my stepdad was in the house from me being six months and feeling his rejection all the way through childhood as well. There was nowhere that I could belong anywhere. Mm. And then hip hop, I, I loved it. I loved the music. I loved it. And when it accepted me and not only accepted me, embraced me and loved me, I was oh overwhelmed. It was an honor to be part of it. Mm. Um, and then it was the only thing I felt really good at. Truly, I was good at stuff, but I was really good at this. So it just made me want to keep going with it. Yeah. So interesting you're tapping into the belonging side of it as well, because um, it's a huge passion area of mine too. Um, and even in my study, I really looked at how belonging can actually have a healing um, element to it. So especially for young people, I was looking at young people who grew up in out-of-home care, really, in my research. Mm. Um, but it really resonates when we're talking about belonging for just someone who was having an ad adverse childhood experience or having some, some trauma in their childhood as well. Like you're, you're really bringing to life that healing element of finding a yeah. sense of belonging somewhere. Wow. Yeah, which is cool. Obviously, I wasn't thinking of it on that level, no. especially at that time. I wasn't thinking, right, yeah. I need to be able to belong somewhere so I can heal all yeah, this no, trauma. Yeah, no, not at all. That's <clears> the thing. <throat> That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It organically just, mm. it, I, I, I say it found me because I didn't think I was looking for it. I mm. loved music. And I, when I was 16, I started DJing. I was that passionate that I, I couldn't play an instrument or I tried and I'd failed and or I didn't have the patience for it and didn't have the resources for it as well. Um, so I managed to get these turntables and I was DJing and I loved music so much. I just wanted to share my headphones with people or play music for mm. them. And it was only a couple of years after doing that, I think the music became real malleable. Like I, with the vinyl, playing vinyl, it was like, wait a minute, I'm controlling the music <laughs> somehow, you know? Yeah. And um, I really got intrigued about making my own beats. So I was 18 when I started making beats on a Sony PlayStation on a PS1. Oh, that's so That cool. was my resource. That's all, wow. that's all I had. I had yeah. a PS1 and um, I had a bootleg copy of this game, a game called Music 2000. Because <laughs> everything was 2000 back then. It yeah. Was something 2000. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I just started tapping on, making the beats on that. And it just was like, I can do this. This is amazing. And everyone who I played the music for, they loved it. And they was like, is this really, you made this on the PlayStation? They couldn't fathom that I made this music on a game. And um, again, that sense of validation and give us more of that. Um, I just felt like I was onto something natural. Mm. It, it wasn't something I had to work hard at being good at. It was naturally, yes. I was ready for it. And, yeah. And it felt good to do it as well. Yeah. Even saying tongue twisters and stuff. So it sounds fun. It's fun to say them, you know. And, um, well, it is for me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to say one now? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> My two-year-old's been singing she sells seashells by uh, the seashore yeah and when you can say it good you can say you get hey i can say it and you get good at saying it and yeah. that's kind of 
the thing that it is you you practice saying things and it sounds cool and then you say it faster and then people oh wow how did you do all that how do you remember all that lyrics and it's it's it is a crazy skill and i got really passionate about it mm. um and yeah going back to the belonging thing i felt like i belong there i felt like i'm supposed to be here doing this and motley is the the character that's going to bring this element or this persona out of out of me so even when i had jobs because um, I worked as a, a teaching aide in Manchester before I came over here. Um, but I spent a lot of time in the resource cupboard, in the tech cupboard where all the resources was. And I'd be have my headphones on and writing rhymes and just keeping my eye, waiting for the school bell to ring just in, in case I'm needed. But I'm actually just in my own little world. <laughs> just That's how much... I felt like I belonged there. I'm, I'm working here and I love working with the schools and I love working with the kids and I still do that. I still do that. But that's where I belong though, mm, you know. Yeah. And that's interesting because I've seen you um, do this work. That's how we actually mm. met. Um, we were catching up before trying to figure out what year we met. It would have been 2011. Yeah. Um, and I got to see you do this magic with these young people as well. Mm. And what I was just thinking about while you were talking too was like, that idea of them finally being, having a chance of being seen and heard and creating their own music piece as well, like after so much trauma. Yeah. And yeah, like it was like you kind of found that that healing path for yourself and then what you did is you turned it into a business essentially and um, yeah. provide it to young people now. Yeah, so it's direct experience, you know. I've, I, I get to talking about, I get to talking with people in the healing space and and yogis and spiritual folk and, and I always feel un- underqualified um, or an imposter or like I don't belong there. It's the same thing, really. Mm. Um, but what I've found is I, the way I work is I have to experience something to its fullest and almost mastered it before I feel qualified mm. to speak on it. Even though I've probably got so much experience that I could share there's something in me that just stays humble. And it's like says, imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and even when I first started doing these workshops that I do today, when I go back to the very first one, my friend um, Ryan, who's just recently moved from Manchester to Brisbane, which is a crazy coincidence, um, but he was doing these workshops and I was still making music on my PlayStation in my bedroom. <laughs> And he said, yeah, I'm pretty much doing the same thing, but just do it in front of these kids at the youth center and show them what you do. And and I was like, who am I? Why would they learn from me? You know, I'm still I'm still learning it myself. Yeah. Um, but I went down there and showed these kids. They were probably five years younger than me. And they were just like eating out of my hand you know just like whoa this is so cool how well can we do this every week and i'm like yeah i think so and ever since there something dawned on me you know there's a there's a niche market for no one ever told me this in the careers advisory yeah you know what do you want to do when you grow up what what job are you going to pick you could do this this and this and 
doing hip hop workshops was n- not discussed as an option. <laughs> <laughs> you can run hip hop workshops around the world and get paid for it and travel around and it'll be dope and you'll heal people around the world and make <laughs> mad connections forever. Oh yeah, I'll choose that. Mm. <clears throat> I had to stumble across it or it found me, like I said. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, I'm not look I don't even know what I'm looking for, but it finds me at the right time and that was one of those things, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because we actually, um, we like we met in that first school in 2011 and we worked alongside each other, I think for a little while. Like we even used to carpool together <laughs> down yeah. to the school. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that was funny. Joe didn't have a car, so yeah. I'd go pick him up on the days he was with us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we got to know each other really well in that time as well and became yeah. quite close. And then we both ended up like moving on to the um, school in the youth justice setting yeah. at the same time as well. So I went over as a teacher um, and you came over as a music teacher at the same time mm-hmm. too. So yeah, I actually just forgot about that until I was reflecting. Just so then. many parallels. Hey? Yeah, there were. Yeah. And I think all the way through, I've been still learning. It's all professional development to me. You know, some organizations send you on professional development Mm. but to me my whole career is being that just being in the room with the kids Mm. is the most professional development you're going to get because you're there and on in the moment learning if you're willing and open enough yeah to to listen and take it in you can see what's needed yeah absolutely and i think that like really speaks to the fact that you felt like you were underprepared before you started as well i don't think anyone walks into a room to like teach something feeling like they're the expert or ready to do it. Mm. I feel like we need to be learning with the people that we're yeah. in the room with, no matter what we're providing. Now, now when I go into a workshop, I'm super confident about what I do, super confident of what their outcome is, what what I can assist the young person to achieve. Um, but I'm still not super confident if they'll reach that potential or I don't put any pressure on them. I say, this is what's possible today, but if you don't want to do that, then that's cool too. Yeah, <laughs> important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I was going to ask as well, like what have you seen happen through the work that you do with the young people? Do you have any examples of like... Um, there's been young people that have turned their life around so much as they've enrolled in a TAFE course and or completed a TAFE course or, you know, done things that they didn't previously believe that they could achieve. So um, people ask me all the time, oh, you must find some real talented kids out there in the hoods and, you know, wherever you're working. And I'm like, there is a lot of talent out there, but that's not what I'm looking for. And I'm not sure if these young people are all really trying to be famous musicians maybe a a percentage of them really take it seriously and they you know to me that's the that's the biggest salute back to me but that's my ego you know and when they pursue music and they're still doing it. These kids that are still doing it 10, 15 years and mm. oh, I did that workshop with you and now listen to this and they're still yeah. sending me stuff. Even kids from back in Manchester. Yeah. It, it is, and it's so beautiful to hear from them. But even when they're not doing music, when they're doing something else and mm. they've, they've had kids and they've settled down and they've done this, 
you know, anything to me is a success from breaking out of a cycle, whatever the cycle was, bringing yeah. a bit more self-awareness. That's it. They just needed to plant a seed, just needed to let them know that they can achieve something, just let them know that they've been heard. Mm. Just that was maybe all they needed just once. Yeah, for sure. Because I definitely saw some young people that um, would struggle in other learning environments and then they would come into your workshop um, and it's like a barrier was removed almost and they could express themselves or feel safety in, in doing it through the, the writing of the music piece. That was something I, I observed because I would often come in with them. So mm. I would try and teach them all these other things, mm. struggle with that and then come in and like hang mm. out with them while they were doing music and really see them. Like, yeah, drop those walls. That was a big, big part of it. I think somebody told me that, um, well, a few people have told me, they feel really comfortable recording. Because imagine having a camera or a microphone in your face. To some <laughs> people, it's really daunting. Mm. I've gotten used to it because I've been making music for 20 years, so it's something I've become comfortable with now. But even when I hear my own voice, like when I listen back to this, I'll be like, oh, do I sound like that really? <laughs> yeah, I do the same. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's that in itself is massive, massive for everybody, especially these young people that have been through a lot of traumatic experience. They might have been ridiculed or embarrassed mm. or ashamed of, they don't want to do the wrong thing mm. in, the, in any situation, never mind when it's being recorded and, you know, all lights on you. Yeah. So... I know from the, I guess my earlier workshops, I, I wasn't aware of that. So I just used to go in thinking that we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And most kids would fall in line because I'm saying we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But now that I'm aware of it and I'm more sensitive to it, I'm, maybe it's a new time as well because COVID's mm. happened. A lot's, a lot's changed in the time. Yeah. Um, but there's more and more young people that are a bit more hesitant and they they might be willing to do some writing with me but then when it comes to recording now that that's a different thing mm. putting my voice to these words it gives them power and it brings these words alive you know yeah. and, and you're recording it for everyone to hear it whoa yeah it's super scary so you have to make it not super scary mm. so i think subconsciously i've been tr i've been working on making people feel comfortable by making myself feel comfortable yeah if i'm comfortable you're comfortable i think that's how it works so yeah. far yeah no you're speaking like my language really i feel like like the the um work has evolved i guess in the time that we've known each other as well we were even talking before we started recording just about mm. a professional that we didn't feel was very mm. professional in 2011 mm. maybe 2012 mm. um but now in the current way things work like we work very differently with young people like we're learning all the time mm. um and even just hearing you say you're now focused on your comfort in the space to mm. then enable them to be comfortable like I feel like back then we weren't as aware of, no. of that and we were just focused on let's support them to get that thing done yeah, yeah. Um, or let's listen to them when they talk to me. But we, yeah. we weren't so self-aware and yeah. I feel like that's where the field's heading now is like practitioners being so aware of themselves. Well, I think in all relationships, mm. a level of self-awareness is should be mandatory you should have to pass a test <laughs> so today we are going to be doing self-awareness and it's mandatory <laughs> that's not stressful <laughs> um but people have asked me when i worked at juvie or when i worked with the kids at the places we worked at how i was so successful and i think that 
I had to reflect on that. I didn't read any books or, you know, go yeah. study how to make people feel comfortable. I just felt my way in and I just felt myself. And sometimes I feel a bit anxious going in. Mm. And sometimes like I feel like I can feel the anxiety of the group, yeah. you know, and I'm feeling that and I'm trying to absorb that. I'm trying to be like, right, it's a very anxious environment. How can I make it funny or silly or yeah. cut Crack it down, it. you know, yeah. without addressing it? Because that just amplifies and makes people more mm. aware of it. And then it's in a cycle, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's take it away from that. And I try to be really humble, really open, vulnerable, honest, and allow myself to be silly or a bit funny or whatever, because I feel like that's the tool. Mm. But I don't do it super consciously, like I'm talking to you now, I do this and I do that, and I, I'm <laughs> yeah, up, yeah. tick, yes, yeah, yeah. I did a joke, <laughs> tick, <laughs> I'm killing it. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just... It's just who I've become over the time in yeah. all relationships, you know, just feeling it like, oh, this doesn't feel comfortable now. And not overanalyzing it like oh, it's one of those awkward silences. I can be OK with silence. I can just read energy and read if somebody needs something. Mm, yeah. And maybe that's because of my traumas as well. Me being hypervigilant, you know, but yeah, it's it's how I can relate to a lot of the kids though because I feel like we came from the same place so I understand them straight off the bat when they're coming in and the more anxious types because that was never something I'd experienced as a teenager I mean I had been bullied myself and I had been bullied by the teachers as well as the kids and even police and all authority was I've built this complex in my head now mm. against authoritarians um but the level of anxiety that I see in young people today, I, I don't think I witnessed that when I was a kid. Um, and I'm sure it, it was there, but maybe just I'm more exposed to it now because I'm working in this field and everywhere I go, it's these yeah. same archetype coming through. Really almost terrified. It's so interesting because if I even think back to the cohort of young people that we worked with, you know, 2011, 2012... Um, yeah, like all the sort of early cohorts we worked with together. Um, I wouldn't say that like the prevalence of anxiety was really high then mm. in the cohorts we work with, not in the same obvious way that you it know, is now as well. Yeah. So I'm like really curious about that yeah. too. And I think yeah. we were discussing that COVID's really played a bit of an impact in how young people are showing up now. Mm. Well, it's, it's really heightened the fear level of everybody. So if they were already scared and anxious, now they're really scared and they're scared to go out or scared to talk to people or be close to people or scared to know what to do. And now they've found that they can just stay inside and it's okay. And mm. they've got their own little safety bubble. I'm just speculating. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, it makes sense though. But coming out of that is difficult, especially yeah. for kids. It's hard to get out of bed when you're a teenager. Yeah. So when you've been in your house for two years and they say, right, come on now. And you're like, whoa, I was super scared about going now. I'm like, it's been building up in my mind yeah. about coming back and it's, it's turned into a monster now. Yeah. So I don't know. Kids that were having a hard time might be like, this is perfect. I never have to go back ever again. Yeah, well, we definitely saw some kids thrive during that time with their learning Mm. Um, yeah, where like they were like, oh, those barriers that used to really stress me out at school, like that blocked my learning, like the peer relationships or, you know, being in front of a group of people 
were gone and they did a lot of work. Interesting, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, and they felt confident and comfortable and, yeah, it, it was, yeah, it suited some young people. Mm. That's kind of um, interesting to highlight for for education, you know, social, know. Inter- social interaction is not taught. It's not, mm. you go out and play now, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, that's it. go out and bully each other or whatever you do these days you know what i mean it's like it's it should be more addressed in society because uh unfortunately as from my experience our parents were not as self-aware as we are now yeah um so there's a lot of life lessons that i personally missed out on and i'm trying to play the catch-up class now in my I just turned 44 and I'm feeling like I'm just learning yeah. about relationships and about how there's different types of relationships and like the institution of marriage like you were saying and mm. what's what's normal or societally acceptable versus what you feel mm. compelled to um, there's so many layers that we kind of wear to filter how we're supposed to live, you know, and it feels really restrictive sometimes. And that could be subconsciously doing a lot of people's heads in, mm. especially these young people that feel like when I speak to them, they, they say, I don't feel like I belong. Yeah. It doesn't feel relevant to me. Or I feel like I'm being targeted as a bully victim or, you know, so they're just having a really bad negative experience with it. And, if the whole school had adopted a let's love each other and share each other, we're a family here and this is we were we're all working together as one big team here we're all mm. trying to do something together i don't know what it is i'm just oh no i yeah. love that you're saying this because the competitive nature of schools even already yeah, sets us up to, yeah, to be against each other yeah. in the way that we're in a learning environment too it really yeah. is and it's funny because i had a conversation with one of the young person's parents um, and they're not originally from Australia, though I don't know if that makes a difference. But they were they were calling it as an Australian thing, and they don't do that in their culture, um, or from their family or th- their perspective. And that is the cheerleader, and everyone gets a shot, and everyone gets a cheer. Mm. And I was saying, yeah, but you can't like because I came from a place where it wasn't like that, and people got booed off stage you know and it's harsh and so i can understand what this family was saying you know you got to know like what are these people doing on x factor or or (laughs) australian idol or whatever it's called and they they really can't sing and somebody should tell them that because they're embarrassing themselves and and they had this this perspective and i could see it i kind of get it i had an interesting conversation with a friend around Australian culture, this fake niceness. Mm. So this is someone who's not, um, wasn't born here as well. Mm. And they were saying like, you'll get an email off someone and you really have to read between the lines because mm. it's, it's layered so with this, n- like it's niceness. not, yeah. And rather than just saying, hey, <laughs> yeah. that was great, but we won't see you again. Yeah, it's like yeah. this whole misleading, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I, I think we that. do it, it's part of our culture. Yeah, yeah and we do it in our school system a yeah. lot. Yeah. You can be whatever you want to be, <laughs> even if you're really bad at it. But like, there's something about me as well that I, 
I'm only going to see these young people for one day. I'm going to just tell them the most positive aspects about themselves. I'm not going to tell them, hey, don't do that. Hey, you're not really good at doing that. <laughs> mm. Maybe you should do this instead. I mean, maybe it's the way it's given. Maybe it's the way it's delivered or maybe it's the way it's landed. But I just focus on the positive stuff. Mm. And well, look, the thing is, we can learn anything we want to learn. And if mm. we want to practice something over and over and over, we are going to learn it. And so it includes music, you know, if we mm -hmm. want to master singing even if they practice every day there's nothing to say that they're not going to master exactly. it exactly yeah and like i said earlier i'm not even looking for talent i'm not and unless they're dedicated like you said and they mm. say no i want to do this and i'm going to keep coming back every week until i've got this then and i'll work with them but in that one day when we've just got that time because a lot of my workshops are one day and mm. then i'm not going to see you again it's only i've got a couple of clients that i'm seeing regularly now on a weekly basis some um some beautiful people actually that um but they they seem to be doing it more for their mental health and growth more than pursuing a career in music yep and i love being the vehicle that can assist them you know the tool or the the help the aid whatever you want to call it the the vibration <laughs> <laughs> but i love that I'm that for these people. I'm the medicine. Mm. That's it's quite beautiful. That is cool. Position to be. Uh, yeah. Um, it's very rewarding beyond the cash. Mm. Um, it gives purpose as well. Um, and I'm I'm able to do it on my own terms. So it's it's they're getting the very best of me. Yeah, which is so important. Yeah, because yeah. like we were saying, when I feel mm. grounded and at peace and ready for the session, then you're going to get the best session. Yeah, and I think about yeah. this so often because I look at people working in some of our systems that are supporting some of the most vulnerable people or people that are really experiencing some really challenging times. Um, mm. And we're like flogging those people to work so hard, long hours, um, and expect them to show up and be the most grounded version of themselves to give the best support. It's silly. Yeah. Both of my sisters are in that same position. And I've told them, just tell your boss that that's an unrealistic deadline. You're working till 11 p.m., going to bed, eating late, and then waking up super early and going straight back to work. You're pretty much only working now. That's mm. your whole life. Mm. And that's a true story in and my sister was getting sick as well. She was already ill and then getting even more sick. And you try to say, I think you're bringing it on yourself. You know, you've got to set boundaries sometimes. That's something I've been struggling with as well. So I can't blame her. Um, but yeah, yeah, boundary setting, that's the big yeah, one. Yeah, when we're working with people that are yeah. like, we really desperately want to be able to provide the best we can. So we think just going as long as we can and as hard as we can to give that work and mm. that support. But yeah, it's so nice to hear that you've got like this, yeah, this new way of doing it where you're not having to yeah, be there, you know, 40 hours a week. Yeah, no, um, I love the balance because it, it enables me to be home with my baby as well. So, and I want to be there to role model, not only fathering, but friending and creativity and being able to say, I'm going to work now, but now I'm not working and now I'm here with you and 
just showing her a, a life that I was never shown, you know, mm. a, a, a secret option. There's yeah. always this, look at what daddy's doing. I've got this this option as well. Yeah, which is so cool. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, and I know we, we talk about this sort of stuff as, as friends anyway, but just around your approach to parenting, especially given, you know, you didn't really have the home environment you would have hoped to have as a child. Like, how um, does it look for you now? Parenting to me is a is a is a journey of self discovery as well as I feel like I'm learning, and and, and I wished I always, it's like when you're working on a song and you wish it was the best song you've ever written and you work <laughs> on it and you scribble it out and you go back and you, and I'm working tirelessly on becoming the best parent that I can be. So I'm always watching podcasts and reading books and taking my own experience from life and th these workshops that I've been doing inform me to be a better parent as well, mm. to be a better per person. Mm. Um, but I'm the worst with boundaries. Oh, really? <laughs> any boundaries. <laughs> my daughter gets anything at any time. <laughs> And and I said to you, it's be, it's because I never had, mm. you know. So it, it's um, it. When I think about it, it's, it's there were so many desperate times that I needed things, just like simply a glass of water or something. Sometimes, so I feel like I, I don't want my child to ever experience anything close to that. Mm. Like we're not even nowhere near that. Yeah, yeah. So that's what informs every single decision. So if she wants to, she wants to pretend to cook egg and beans <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife disagrees. She's like, come on, it's bedtime. You've got to get to bed. Like, no, 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 go away. Like, yeah. She's not going to go to sleep. She's wide awake she's telling me she wants to do this and she's full of energy and she she wants to do it yeah so for me to say no you go to bed now baby close your eyes and she, she doesn't get it she squeezes her eyes closed and then she'll open them and <laughs> i'm just like let her I, I don't mind i don't mind being up I, i've got nothing to do but be here this is why i'm this is why i'm here this is why i work less so i yeah. can so i can savor these moments yeah. She's not going to ask me to make egg and beans pretending, <laughs> you know? Yeah. She's not going to do that forever, so. Yeah. Let me enjoy it. Yeah. I, I never could do that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty special, the approach, I think. And we were talking earlier before we started recording as well. Just like our parents' generation just had no idea mm. about childhood trauma, um, you know, or just their own parenting styles or just their approach or anything like anything, that yeah. yeah and we're in a much healthier situation now where um we're moving <coughs> moving closer towards a, a society that is aware of potential trauma in childhood and yeah and creating the best parenting model that we can yeah i just hope and i feel that sometimes i might be setting some bad examples by just not having any boundaries there's never a no you know i'm like baby this is your life you I can't tell you what to do. You're going to experience your life and you're going to find things that you like and that you don't like and it's not up for me. And that's what I'm saying from the start and people say, whoa, that's a bit crazy because she's only two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
She had a spoonful of garlic dip. <laughs> and did she like it? Spicy, spicy. It's garlic, but she called it spicy because it's like, I guess, like wasabi. It comes through the nose, you know. Yeah. She had so much of it. But then she's not going to have a, a spoonful of garlic dip the next time. I don't have to say, no, that's bad. Don't do that, you know. Yeah. She just finds like it Like learning out. the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, through yeah, experience. Yeah. yeah. So I question myself if I should be setting more and I don't let it get in any danger or you know it's not <laughs> silly like come on let's play with this fire or let's go <laughs> swimming in this lake you know yeah. it's not it's not like that yeah yeah everything's safe I'm I'm what you might call a helicopter I'm floating <laughs> around and I try to give a distance and space yeah and sometimes she tells me go away <laughs> especially when she's doing a number two she'll say go away yeah She's beautiful. She's the she's my main inspiration for getting better and better. And I just don't want to spill any of my nonsense onto her. Like you said, I'm more aware of my parents. I can do this. So why am I not doing this? So mm-hmm. don't have any excuses. I feel like because you know I had a near death experience as well. Yeah, actually, well, we could have. Yeah, we should go there. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a part two. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be a part two because that would be a long yeah. podcast. Um, but that plays a significant part of my decision making every single day as well. And one of the things that flashes back from that experience is that we get to see this experience again or experience it or perceive it, however you want to like dream it or whatever, but we can get to revisit these moments. And I feel like I just want to have the best 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 moments while i'm here Mm. so that when i do get to revisit it i can say oh this was so amazing and i don't want to be going oh man that's such a shame you look you're missing your daughter or you're missing Mm. you're having this clash with your wife and you're not even seeing that your daughter just did something for the first time and she's trying to show you something and you're missing it i don't want to come back and say all right i'm gonna live this life again i'm gonna do it better again this time Mm. because that's my belief system now that we, we get to review our life and we get to see where what impact we had on other other people's lives and we also get to um, get to choose which areas we didn't really master yet and re- reincorporate that into a new life mm. so I'm trying to on a spiritual level I'm trying to really work through these things that uh, some people call them ancestral or generational mm. traumas, and I think they're beyond that. It's it's a, everything physical has a non-physical counterpart. So even if you're talking about yourself or your parents or your ancestors, there's always something greater and bigger than that as well that it's mm. entwined with. Yeah. So that's really the starting point that I'm living my life from, and. I'm saying, no, I'm going to try again with my wife. <laughs> I'm going to be there with, with my daughter. Every single moment that I get is a valuable moment. Mm. And with these kids, the same. I'm not there watching my clock or yeah. I'm not, watching, not doing anything, but just watching the person, listening, feeling, <sighs> like understanding and believing and accepting and and mirroring back and sh- sharing in a creative way a, a reflection of themselves. 
I feel like that's what I do, like um, almost a caricature drawing where we can look at it and laugh at it and say, oh, he saw my big nose or my missing tooth or, and we can get to laugh at it and see it in a different perspective. And I feel like in a way, it's a, it's a funny analogy, but in a way when we do the raps, they get to see themselves in a different perspective, mm. more of a cool perspective than a funny caricature. It's not a silly one. It's more, they, yeah. they see themselves quite serious and say, whoa, this actually sounds good. I'm, I'm proud of myself. Yeah. So it, it, in a way, that's all I'm really doing. I'm showing him a mirror of themselves. I'm saying, but look at it like this. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. Yeah. And they say, no, that's a trick. That's not me. Did you put sound effects or did you put auto tune? I said, no, that's just you. No way. That sounds so good. Yeah. I purposely don't really put too much silly effects on it so that they can be proud of them, of the real. Yeah. Because I feel like vibrationally, the voice is them anyway. And it there's something in the tone of the voice. They're, they're reading it off a paper. They're being really vulnerable. Mm. And you can hear that. Mm. When I listen back to it, it, it's really powerful, even for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they're not just songs, you know, they're not just silly kid songs. They're real cries for help sometimes or just to be seen or just. Yeah. And I think the teachers are missing. Yeah. Yeah. Say so this instructions here. Just listen to that and then you'll know how to be, you know. such an evolution of everything really like yeah since we met and just seeing you evolve in so many ways Ooh. it's really special yeah yeah that's the beauty of life isn't it it's just um doesn't get stagnant is there's there's always more yeah that's right we're constantly like creating and learning and yeah. growing changing it's a beautiful time to be alive yeah which I'm so glad that near-death experience was just near. No. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we maybe maybe we could do an episode where we dive into that at some point. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time. Yeah. And I know it's been a pretty big vulnerable share so yeah. far. But I've just got a few questions that I ask um, each guest mm-hmm. to close off as well. So if you're ready, we might dive into those. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Maybe we'll say pre-finding your PS1. Mm. Yeah, because I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I was saying that to my friend as well. We both got this job in a factory when we were 16 years old. Ah, uh, yeah. And I looked around and thought, there's no way I'm going to be doing this till I'm the same age as these guys. Mm. Um, but my friend's still there in the same factory since we were 16. Wow. And then I, I think, but I've pretty much been doing the same thing as well, but just yeah. in a different different path you know yeah guess you find something in it just becomes your vocation mm. just over time mm-hmm. but before that i had a few aspirations the one that stands out is to be a forensic scientist interesting yeah i was always like nerdy on science kits and microscopes and chemistry kits and stuff like that 
And I think I, my mum was watching a TV show and there was like dusting for fingerprints and <laughs> checking stuff. And I was like, whoa, that looks cool. What are they doing? And she's yeah. like, that's called a forensic scientist. <laughs> and it stuck in my head ever since. And I was like, I'm going to be a forensic scientist. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. But then um, I suppose when I was, because we have work experience, it's probably the same over here, but mm. I think I may have been... 14 or 15 or somewhere around mid-teens and by that time I already thought I want to work with kids so I worked in a school in like the nursery class oh yeah yeah oh there you go so that drive was already there yeah yeah that's yeah. cool yeah came from a pretty big family and I was the first grandkid, oh, yeah. so I was always around my cousins and everyone yeah loved me and yeah I just always had a good relationship with kids ever mm. since babysitting and just being around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Even when I left that factory job, I went to study being a nursery nurse. Oh, and there it you just go. me and a room full of women. <laughs> and I think I felt a bit uncomfortable at that time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't stick it out. I didn't feel like I've belonged. Yeah, that lack of belonging. Yeah. 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 All right. Second question. Um, What are your two top values if you can only choose two? Oh, tricky, tricky. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Honesty has got to be up there. <laughs> this is why some people want to be prepared eh? <laughs> honesty and um, I think just honesty that's fine you yeah. can have one you can just have one yeah and it can shape the rest that's yeah because yeah. that's the core I think so yeah I value that more than anything. Even just be straight, and we can work it out. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like that authenticity as well, isn't it? Like yeah. be your real self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Integrity. Yeah. All that that's linked to it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one. This one's a little bit funny. So I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. <laughs> if you were going to have a boxing fight, what would be your walkout song? Oh man. And it's a bit mean because I know you're a musician. <laughs> <laughs> it would be Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, somebody had to go there, didn't they? <laughs> oh, it's too obvious for me. Because uh, I'm not a boxer by no way, shape or form. So the very sight of me in boxing shorts would be funny. So it's going to have to have the Eye of the Tiger. All right. And I've got to come out comedic style. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I was thinking, come on, your music repertoire is wider than that. <laughs> no way. Um, next question. If you could collaborate with anyone in the field, dead or alive, so in any fields that you play in, um, who oh. would it be? Another tough question. This is definitely a toughie. Um, see, I was going to say something and then I had to hold back because a lot of... I used to listen to a lot of rap music, mm. but now when I listen back, a lot of it is like detrimental and glorifying poverty and glorifying, mm. not not all of it. There's a lot of positive stuff in there, but 
I'm just not inspired like I used to be. So it makes me go broader afield like um, Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be amazing. To like make a song? Just to be in the room with him. If we made a song, that's a bonus. <laughs> Let's just jam first, see how it goes. Yeah, cool. Just learn from him, see him. Yeah. He was such a, a massive inspiration as a kid, you know. Yeah. Moonwalking and just being cool and having a cool sound and a cool aura and i feel like he was really in touch with his inner child still i don't think he ever really got to grow up so mm. everyone thought he was weird and mm, yeah. he was just a kid very misunderstood yeah 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 cool i never saw that answer coming that's cool um and the last one is if you could make one recommendation that anyone could take as a step towards healing what would it be Ooh. If you're if you if you're listening to this and you're looking for recommendations, then you're already you're already going, you know, because the first step is to admit that you need help and and really well, whether you see it as you need help or just you you just identify where those struggles are and um just learn as much as you can about that particular thing and about yourself. The more you learn about yourself in different situations, then you can take that and learn about that feeling or learn about that situation and learn about how maybe you could have been triggered and just just learn, 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 mm. learn. And once you've learned, learning, incorporate it, you know, in embody it, be it, be something different. And it feels maybe uncomfortable or inauthentic at first because it's not something you would truly usually do. But it it will become the way, I think. Mm. And then you'll find something else and then you just do the same. Rinse, repeat. Yeah. Find true. it, learn much more about it, go deep. Learn it from the non-physical, from the physical, from the other person's perspective. From Learn it from all, wherever mm. you can learn it. And then transcend it mm, i love that great answer yeah. so it's been such a pleasure having you in and catching up properly again um and thank you so much for the level of vulnerability you gave in this episode as well joe motley joe or uh, motley both thank you for allowing and creating that space where i felt comfortable enough no problem at all thank you so much thank you bye-bye thank you wonderful listeners for making it right to the end of the podcast we appreciate you if you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.